<laughs> you guys have this great podcast about politics, but what if you also just have a little segment where you talk to somebody about pizza in Alaska? And what if that person is you? What if that person is me? Well, I mean, today it could be me. <laughs> Next time it could be somebody else, you know? Yeah, I think, I don't know, Pat, you and I had talked about doing a podcast that was like not about politics. So what if this is just uh, like, a, like, hey, look, we're all fucking completely tired of politics, 100%. Uh, the news from this weekend is exhausting and sad and frustrating. Let's just talk about pizza. And I would, li- this, I would like people, that. If people but, like this, then we'll do something more, you know, well, then, I, then we, but we're not going to commit to anything because that's, we're just not kind of, we're just not right, right. committed. We can't commit to anything. <laughs> Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. And today we are joined by a guest with a very specific axe to grind, <laughs> and um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit. Well, actually, Carol, uh, do you want to um, maybe introduce yourself and talk about what the uh, what the topic of today's show is? Sure, um, I'm Carol Treem, and I think that every pizza should have pineapple on it. Matt, what do you think about this? I actually agree. I'm a, I'm a big pizza. I'm a, I'm a pineapple on pizza lover also, especially um, when it's paired with something spicy. Of course, though, this is all referring to a, a guest column run on uh, my blog this week. The headline is The Case Against Pineapple Pizza and Dan Sullivan. I also like pineapple pizza, so I don't understand what we're doing here today, Carol. What are you? Um... <laughs> well, but okay, we like pineapple pizza, but clearly there are people out there who uh, don't like pineapple pizza. And I got to be honest, I only skimmed the blog post because I was so enraged by the headline that I thought, you know, and the Sullivan part, I obviously agree with. So I was trying to skim through to see if there was actually like a chunk of that blog post that was about pineapple on pizza that I could rage against on Twitter. So I went and read this article and it wasn't as much about pineapple pizza as you would think. No, it's it's really not, which is actually a little bit disappointing. Yeah, so I think what we're really trying to do here today is kind of fill in the gaps and um, you know have a real meaningful discussion about pizza in Alaska. So maybe we could just do a little round robin real quick and talk about um, you know what are some of your best pizza experiences in the state of Alaska. You want to go first, Carol? Yeah. Okay. This is what I have been waiting for my entire life slash the entire life of your podcast. So the best pizza in Alaska, and this is an objective fact, comes from Papa Bear's in Petersburg. And Papa Bear's in Petersburg has a pizza called the People's Choice. And the People's Choice has a Canadian bacon. Actually, I should look this up so I don't get it wrong. I think pepperoni, black olives, and pineapple. And it is amazing. And when I was in high school, uh, I used to eat this pizza frequently at lunchtime because we could leave the school at lunch to go get food. I would walk downtown to Papa Bear's, get my slice of pizza and a ginormous brownie covered in frosting. And that was my lunch. And I cannot believe that I ate that almost every single day. Well, you were a swimmer, right? Yeah, I guess that, that did help. Carol, I would like to point out that um, this alleged best pizza in Alaska, you don't even know the, the toppings are on it? Like you're not even 100% sure of the toppings of your favorite pizza you ate every day? Well, I've, it's, I've been eating this pizza yeah. for what, like 
I'm here to ask the hard questions. Yeah. So I know. Okay. I already got her on her heels. <laughs> I should have prepared. But <laughs> my point is that this pizza is called the people's choice. So it is. A, and when you go into Papa Bear's now, which is now located on uh, Main Street in Petersburg, when you go in there and you want to slice, they'll have a few pizzas that, you know, already made that you can just buy a slice. This is always one of those pizzas. It's the people's choice. So did the people, people like choose it. this? Like, did they vote on it? Was there like, is this democracy or are we talking about was like kind a, of a ra- unilateral? You know, like, or was it, you know, was it ranked choice voting? How do they, <laughs> how do they do this? Was it a first past the post sort of system? Um, you know, I actually meant to call Papa Bears this week and ask them and I forgot. So well, I asked why it's called the people's choice. Although it's been called the people's choice since I was in high school. Carol. 16 years ago. The, we're we're curious people that find out the answers to our question. Let's call them right now. Do you think they're open? Yeah, like I don't know. Let's on a Sunday. Uh, yeah, it's you a know, pizza it's, joint. Okay, well, it's it's Petersburg though. It's actually yeah. likely that they're not <laughs> open on Sunday. Okay. Um, they open at eleven o'clock tomorrow. I'll call them tomorrow. Papa Bears, how can I help you? Hi, is Scott there? No, he's not. Um, I I have a random question. Uh, my name yeah. is my name is Carol Treem. I grew up in Petersburg. I was just talking about Papa Bears on a podcast with some friends of mine, and I yeah. was talking about the People's Choice, which is my favorite pizza, and they asked how it got decided, and I just can't remember. Do you happen to know? How the People's Choice got named the People's Choice. Um, let me uh, hand you over to my my mom. Okay, and thanks. She'll tell you. Okay, thank you. This is Mandy. How can I help you? Hi, this is Carol Treem. I grew up in Petersburg, and I was just talking with some friends uh, on a podcast about Papa Bears and how much I love the pizza. And uh-huh. specifically the People's Choice. And they were asking uh, how it got its name, and I just can't remember. Do you know? Oh, how funny. So we bought, or, yeah, we bought this place going on 18 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and the people, P. Pellerito and Ginger Pellerito, which they're not married anymore, but um, when they had it, there was a few of the names that we kept of their pizzas, and oh. one of them was the People's Choice. Um, but there was a few that we switched up too. Like he, one of his meat pizzas was called the Italian Stallion because obviously he was Italian. Right. I thought that was funny. Yeah. We don't call it that anymore. <laughs> we call it um, the Italian Papa Bear. Um, so it's it's funny. Yeah. Some of the names change, but some oh. of them stay the same. And the People's Choice um, has is one that we just never changed. Oh, that's and, so funny. Yeah, and I think it's just because, you know, it's got the pepperoni, it's got the Canadian bacon, pineapple, and black olive, and a lot of people just really like that combo. Yeah, it's my and, it's my favorite for sure. Yeah, and so that's just one that we never change, so. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to remember back to when it was Pallarito's, so I was pretty yeah, young. Yeah, I know, and I worked for him back when I was in high school, too. So oh, wow. It's been a long time. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you so much. That's really helpful. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Another thing I want to talk about about Papa Bears yeah. is 
they legitimately won this national pizza competition in I don't know the 2000 early 2000s or something and if you go there it, it made like the front page of the Petersburg pilot of course that Papa Bears had won this national pizza competition at some national pizza convention and they're on the front page or the cover of this pizza magazine and the cover is framed and up in the in their you know restaurant location in Petersburg so it is legitimately good pizza and I'm not the only one who thinks so that's my point I so I've never been to Papa Bear's and I've never had this you know golden glowing pizza or whatever but the but I think that the um you know, I guess in comparison, like you've had other pizzas in Alaska, right? Yeah. So what, <laughs> true or false. May, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe you could give me the rundown of like where they stack up next to Papa Bear's. Like assuming okay. Papa Bear's is this like the best, then what, yeah. what else do you, what else is yours? So I think that my second favorite pizza in Alaska is that place in Kotzebue. What's it called? Oh, Little Louie's. Yeah, Little Louie's. I think I, Love Second Little Louie's. Yes. In Alaska. Is that the one by the big hotel? Well, everything's by the big hotel. In <laughs> yeah. Louis, but yeah. It's like, a, it's like a, a road or two in. Yeah. I actually went there um, back in my days of reporting for the Fairbanks Daily News Miner. I got to go out there uh, to cover the president's visit. Um, right. and, uh, it was kind of, it was sort of this surreal time because it was, you know, I, every single time as a reporter that you got to go out to rural Alaska in any sort of capacity is like just a really eye opening, right? Like, it's just not something that I think the regular person sees at every day. And so, but anyway, so I got to go out there with, um, Aaron, Aaron Corneliansen, um, photographer for the paper at the time. And. Um, yeah, we ate there like two or three. I think that might have been the only place we ate. And we ended up um, getting like, we loved it so much. And especially because it was just sort of like, it was good. It was sort of familiar. It was it was just sort of the right thing you needed at a day of like walking around in the cold. And we ended up buying like gift cards for everybody, all of the people that helped us along the line. We bought them big old gift cards, little Louis. And yeah, That's still amazing. there too, yeah. I wonder if Obama ate there. I don't think he... he I don't think he ate anything while he was there. <laughs> he was like landed in, out, saw a dog, and was gone. That's too bad. Yeah. So what, Matt, do you have some favorites? Is is Little Louie's on the top of your list? I would say so. Just I think for me, and this is going to sound really cheesy and sentimental because I am a cheesy and sentimental kind of person, is that for me, like all the pizza, the best pizza in Alaska is really tied to kind of like – a life events or emotional sort of times in my life. So like that is really, that was this really cool time getting to see the president and get to see him out in rural Alaska. And that was really great. Um, and then um, the, the, my best favorite pizza though is uh, East Ramp pizza in Fairbanks. And it's a great slice. I don't know if it's like the objectively best slice that I've ever had in Alaska, but you know, I lived there for seven years, I guess. And for about six and a half of those years there was like literally not a good slice of pizza there i in my opinion like um i think fairbanks has great thai food right everyone's gonna tell you it's great thai food but i think it the the real problem is that it's got bad every other food um <laughs> like it was you know it's honestly hard to get like a really great slice of pizza or like a good burger i would say like it was just kind of it was rough right and yeah i so, went to school um, up there and it was all just like you know pizza hut and college pizza and yeah. it was all kind of like rough 
I mean, there's still there's a reason there's still a line to the the uh, Sonic Burger that opened up there like a while ago now. Um, but so, anyways, East Ramp Pizza, uh, it was just like it opened right when I was moving away, actually. So I think it was like the last summer I was there. Uh, it's on the East Ramp of, by the airport, so it's the small airplane airport basically. Uh, so you sit, you look out on it, uh, beautiful little kind of idyllic view, very kind, of, the sort of perfect thing that kind of makes you sentimental about a place when you're sitting there like on a Sunday afternoon and it's kind of sunny and their planes are landing and taking off and you're having a good slice of pizza and you're thinking about all the sort of things you're going to miss about this place. And when you, when you move to join the Borg and move to Anchorage. So. so what you're saying, Matt, is it's not really about the pizza. It's about the friends we made along the way. Yes. Uh, yeah, totally. I, 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 in thinking about this question, like I, I just keep thinking about, pizzerias here in Juneau there was one really good one in Haynes when I was a kid that we'd go to on trips that was fun but like Bullwinkle's for nostalgia and and ambiance and just sort of the like the the state worker vibe almost like it, and <laughs> like it's where I had my 13th birthday party I don't know it's it, like we recorded one of our favorite podcasts there oh that's <laughs> true yeah yeah the candy crane episode oh my god yeah <laughs> So I don't know. Bullwinkle's really has like a, a, a special place in my heart, even though I don't think that it has particularly like, you know, uh, transcendent pizza, but, it, but it's, uh, but God, I love it. And, uh, you know, lately I think Lupo's been good. I, they, they've been doing this, um, during, during quarantine, they started give uh, selling these $10 pizzas that are frozen pizzas out of a Malga distillery. And you just go by and you drop your 10 bucks and you pick up this like frozen pie and it's like a, they kind of pre-bake it a little bit in their, in their, uh, you know, oven. So it's got this kind of like wood fired uh, flavor to it and you just throw it in your oven for 10 minutes and you got this amazing pizza at home. We've been getting those and adding toppings to them. So those are really great. Um, yeah, Lupo is in a, kind of a different class of pizza for me and that it's yeah. so good. It's, you know, like gourmet pizza. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's it's fancy pizza. It's good stuff. Um, I like the Island Pub a lot. Um, uh, you know, I enjoy the Bear's Tooth because you can because it's got the whole like movie theater vibe. You know, you get to go like not not only you're having your pizza, but now you're in a movie theater. Um, like that's pretty exciting. Um, oh, actually, speaking of which, um, speaking of pineapple on pizza, uh, so I think like for my money, I think like Moose's Tooth, Bear's Tooth. Um, and Hearth is another one in, in Anchorage are all really good. Uh, but on the special menu for Moose's Tooth right now is the Pineapple Express, which is an excellent pizza. Uh, all aboard the Sweet Delight. The su so I'm really, sorry, this is the explanation of it here, not just me ranting about <laughs> it. Um, this pizza creation starts with our house-made apricot barbecue sauce, add mozzarella provolone, bacon, fresh jalapenos, fresh pineapple, fresh red peppers, and then finish it with a handful of green onions. And that, to, to me, is one of my, like, that is my idealized version of uh, pineapple on pizza. It's got a little something spicy, a little something salty with it, too. The last time I was in Anchorage, I think I wanted to order that one, and I got overruled. So oh. I tried, because that one appealed to me, mostly because of the pineapple. Yes. This may be difficult for us to understand, but why do you, why do you think people don't like pineapple pizza? Is well, it the I mean, sweet sweetness? I think that it's because people haven't had a good pineapple pizza. I mean, I think I would say that if you're going to take roll the dice. I, okay, so I'm going to say that I love pineapple on pizza. I don't think it's always great on pizza, though. I would say like the Canadian bacon and pineapple, just okay. 
just really okay. It needs that, it needs the spiciness. And I don't think a lot of people do try the spicy with the pineapple and they don't even know. I think a lot of people don't even know. They're like living in their own little uh, pizza bubble filled with anti pineapple on pizza propaganda. They're not getting the truth. <laughs> so if they only heard you, if they only heard the truth about pineapple. Hey, yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to make it required <laughs> curriculum in, in yeah. uh, elementary school classes for them to have <laughs> good pineapple. The, so actually, I, I, uh, election night pizza is like grand tradition in journalism right and i have a pizza actually named after me called the buxton which is the uh it's just ordered wherever you want it right um but it's uh pineapple pepperoni and jalapenos those three so are you saying like the trifecta of it yeah like if i call up any pizza joint right now and order the Buxton, they'll know what I'm yeah, talking about. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's call. Let's find, let's find a pizza place at 1130 on a Sunday morning. Most of the pizza I order now is from Domino's and the Juno Domino's. <laughs> I gotta say the downtown Juno Domino's is amazing. It is like yeah. fantastic pizza. And we have our favorite, you know, like on the, the pizza tracker website, they say they have the names of who's doing what and, who knows if they're actually real names, but Oswaldo, who works at the downtown Gino Domino's, makes amazing pizzas. Okay, and so <laughs> Carol, this is this is funny because I was thinking about how to work this in. I'm I'm a I'm very much like a small business guy. I don't like, you know, like, you know, the big outside chains and all that stuff. Domino's pizza in Juno is is great. And I I play soccer with Oswaldo. <laughs> and he You is, do? Yeah, is he, and he's, he's real? He's a yeah. real person. Yeah, Waldo, oh, he's a good so dude. Awesome. He's, he's an amazing soccer player. Um, uh, and some of the other guys on this, my soccer team work there too. This other guy, JJ, delivers a lot of the pizzas. And um, it's like the fam- Oswaldo's family owns the, um, owns the oh. chain. And it's a really, like, they do a good job. And They do an amazing job. Yeah. When I lived in D.C., I ordered a lot of Domino's because it was what was open late at night and would deliver. And it was awful. But, you know, it was what food I could get at 11 p.m. This this Domino's is just blows that out of the water. And I'm so happy to hear that Oswaldo is a real person because like Friday nights, we're always like, hope Oswaldo is working. That's amazing. <laughs> we wanted to make our pizza. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so what are, what are some of the like weirdest experiences, like weirdest pizza? Do you have any pizza stories? Do you have any like tangentially pizza related memories that are like, how do we, like, I, I think the unique, like, what is unique about pizza in Alaska? And I think um, when I think about that, I think about people like ordering pizza to remote communities uh, on float planes and, uh, or like the salmon derby here in Juneau, there was like a, a pizza boat that would go around to other boats and deliver pizzas. I think, I think that was maybe Domino's too, but it was like a, or maybe it was Bullwinkles. They had like a, one of the pizza joints had a delivery boat. Um, so you could, you call up and get a pizza delivered to your while you're fishing for king salmon <laughs> amazing yeah um, i remember in interior yeah hearing a lot of stories about basically yeah the spare room and in, in, in uh little rural uh hopper flights um being completely filled up with you know gapco uh cad you know customer appreciation day gapco cad great alaska pizza company customer appreciation day with a five dollar I think it's $5 medium pizzas they do at the end of the month. And yeah, but filling them up and then yeah, throw them on a plane and they're all basically sold by the time you land. And I think it just speaks to the quality, like just 
Yeah, I think pizza sort of has like a special sort of thing in a lot of people's life. It's like this sort of shareable meal that you can, everyone can enjoy, right? Unless, it, unless I guess you're really gluten intolerant, which or lactose intolerant. Or lactose. Oh, I make it work. <laughs> I, just, I just power through <laughs> the lactose dagger, the yeah. slice of pizza. Uh, Carol, when you were in in high school, did you do? You're a southeast kid, like I am. Um, did you do a bunch of like fundraisers? Like one of the things we did was we would like order a bunch of pizzas and then basically sell them by the slice at lunchtime and like mark them way up and, you know, make, make money for school sports yeah. that way. Oh, that's a good idea. No, we didn't do that probably because we could leave uh, the school at lunchtime and go oh, yeah. to uh, Papa Bear's. Here's something that like, I, so I'm not a big fan of like the personal pizza. Have you guys ever ordered a personal pizza? Like I kind of feel like, part of what makes pizza great is that it is this communal dish that we're all kind of like digging into the same trough. <laughs> and I know that like, you know, health concerns and all that, it's not <laughs> the thing that many of us are doing right now, but I, but I think that it's like, there's something really wonderful about just sort of this like slab of food that arrives. <laughs> yeah, I don't, well, with the exception of Lupo, where I think their pizzas are personal sized or at least I'd make them personal sized um but then if you go with a group you order three or four different kinds of pizza and you can swap and share yeah. but yeah generally speaking it is a, a sharing is caring and what better food to share I feel you- like personal pizzas were like a thing of the late 90s early 2000s where like we were oh you know we were so independent the economy was booming and you could just have a little tiny you know eight inch round pizza and it just was the way it worked and i think just that kind also, of yeah like cynicism the, is just no idea. the crust to rest of the pizza ratio is off on a personal pizza i think that's a great point yeah There's too much crust and you know the crust can be good sometimes it's a high point i think of both papa bears and lupo have great crust but you need some other stuff on your pizza as well Okay, so uh, favorite toppings that are not pineapple. I, I'm a big fan of the mozzarella, a little bit of basil, maybe some um, Costco like the margar- sells margarita like style. Yeah, and Costco sells a um, balsamic reduction drizzle thingy. Oh, and you put that on top of it when it's all done. Oh, it's so good. You're so fancy. I, I I have I actually have pizza dough in my fridge right now, ready to go today. So that's exciting. What are you gonna put on, on it? The mind. Uh, so I'm following um, uh, YouTube personality uh, <laughs> recipe, Maddie Matheson. He's got this one for a, um, it's like a part, yeah, party tray pizza, basically. So you put it in a big baking tray. So it's a big, thick kind of um, almost focaccia sort of style bread. The way he does it though, and I think this takes it to an awesome level, is it's covered corner to corner piled up with pepperoni so it's just like there's no visible other thing and everything gets little all the little pizza or the pepperonis get a little crisped up and a little kind of greasy and, and crispy and chewy and it's really i just really am looking forward to it. it's really like almost literally the only thing i'm looking forward to anymore so <laughs> this pizza so that's what i got going on in my life guys <laughs> what do you what do you guys think about the like non-red pizzas like the like when you get into like the alfredos and stuff like that like the i think the island pub in juno does a great job with like the don 
um, but they've got like a the porcupine with the pine nuts on it, and and a lot of those are like kind of more cream based pizzas than um, tomato sauce based. I'm personally a big fan of the barbecue sauce pizzas. Like, give me a barbecue oh, the chicken. Porky pig. Yeah. Yeah. Bullwinkles has one called the porky pig, or they used to at least when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> My God, you get the porky pig was a barbecue sauce uh, based pizza with like you know a hundred thousand types of meat on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and actually, now that now you remind me, now that you so you you asked about kind of weird toppings. Um, so I went to the college in Nebraska where there's a place called Yaya's. Pretty good pizza. It's like a late night place, um, but they have the Californian pizza. And I actually went back, but it's like a white sauce with potatoes Ooh. and I believe broccoli. I made an uh, an American dinner pizza once, and it was incredible. And it was like a mashed potatoes and gravy and you know peas <laughs> and like I mean just like it was it was like like Thanksgiving dinner on a pizza. And it was so good. So I I have to question whether that's like still a pizza. I don't Why? know that. that well, <laughs> Why do you have to question that? <laughs> oh, is it a pizza or is it a? Yeah, we got to get into that argument. What is a pizza? <laughs> so I'll I'll say I prefer a red sauce pizza, and when I whenever I'm ordering a pizza and I I see those pizzas at the Island Pub, and I'm like, nah, that's not what I want. I want a pizza with red sauce, and then inevitably somebody orders it, and I have a slice. I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, this is really good, and I should broaden my. So horizons, I guess. you're saying, but is it the is it the shape or is it the ingredients? I think it. I think the it's probably some combination of both. But I think when you get was there cheese on your American dinner pizza? Yes. Okay. Lots. Okay. <laughs> Good. I mean, I Where think you it, put the gravy onto it. I that's the part I'm kind of hard. I'm having trouble <laughs> picturing. Do you, does the gravy go on, do you finish it with gravy or I does it begin with gravy and you bake we the use, gravy we, into it? We put the gravy on the bottom, like as the sauce. Oh, as the sauce. And then uh, the kind of mashed potatoes over the top of it. Okay, that makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I do think thin. that I I think and I recognize that other people have different opinions than me and i'll try to respect those opinions <laughs> i think you gotta have your crust a sauce in my ideally red sauce for me and then cheese and then you can put toppings on it but if you're straying too far from that formula i think it doesn't count as pizza anymore i mean by your so you description, gotta draw the line somewhere there has to be objective truth in pizza it has so, some sort you know of basic what, maybe set of facts. So you're, so you're saying, so you're saying, if I put down a piece of a piece of uh, a, a layer at the bottom that's a crust, and then I put some kind of a like sauce on it, and then I put a cheese on it, I'm not making a quesadilla. I'm making a pizza. No, so I don't think it. I think it's got to be pizza dough or something like. I, a quesadilla has a tortilla, and a tortilla is not going to count. So what about like uh, if you take pilot bread and put. <laughs> pizza sauce on that that's a pilot bread pizza it's like a bagel pizza that is a, a bagel pizza <laughs> it's, a, it's like a cousin <laughs> yeah it's a cousin <laughs> i do remember like they had a that was another big thing in kind of the late 90s was like the bagel pizzas was like, yeah yeah and then it unfortunately it turned into pizza bagels which was just bagel with kind of pizza flavored oh i actually i love pizza bagels i worked at this coffee shop in seattle and i worked the closing shift and if there were the bagels didn't last until the next day so we could take the bagels home 
and I would always hope that there were pizza bagels left at the end of the day that I could take home because those were the only ones I really wanted to eat. I think I missed out on the pizza bagels. I don't know anything about non. So there's just a bagel without the toppings, huh? Yeah, but there was also like a I, I keep all this like late '90s stuff is tied up in like microwave culture. Like there's yeah. there was those little like <laughs> tiny bagels that you could get that were like where it all went wrong. You'd throw in the microwave and they'd come out and you'd have this like kind of wet soft bagel with some yeah. melted cheese. What were they? Bagel bites? Is that yeah. what they bagel bites? Yeah. Yeah, that was. I mean, and they had little horrible. Red Baron mini pizzas, <laughs> and then you had pizza pockets. Oh Hot yeah! Pockets. My God, yeah. Hot Pockets, right? Yeah, it was like the chicken Kiev of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> is is pineapple on pizza really that unpopular? Because the three of us all like pineapple. What I what I want to know is why people who don't like pineapple on pizza need to be so vocal about it. Right. Like, I don't hate like I, there's other like I don't really love olives. I'm not sitting here blasting people with olives on their pizza all day and night. Like I don't know why. Why did we get to a point where it is so divisive to have pineapple on pizza? Like either you like, either you love it or you hate it. It seems like, and it just well, there's no there's no room for middle ground anymore in, in this modern <laughs> pizza culture. I think it's because of that communal aspect, right? So if you're ordering uh, a pizza, like, and someone orders the pineapple pizza, now your options are limited. Even if you've ordered three pizzas and you're all sharing slices, now you as a pineapple. Uh, you know, hater. hater yeah. Like, do you now your options are limited because one of these pizzas is tainted by pineapple? That's why you get half and half, first of all. And On second every, of all, you know. I would argue that pineapple is a very easy topping to pick off. Yeah, that's true. And if somebody wants to pick off the pineapple from their pizza, I will take it. Pineapple always leaves a little juicy residue. Like, that's one of the best things about it, in my opinion. But it also, yeah. it, it does make it difficult. You can take the physical pineapple off, but you can't take the memory of the pineapple away. Right. So this is where I think people who, I kind of agree with Matt, that people just don't know how good it is. Because I think that people think a fruit on a pizza, that doesn't belong. But sweet and savory coexist in so many other foods that are not... So that people don't get think, angry about. Yeah, Why aren't about there it, other and like, fruits though? But you think about like the ham on the the ham the, the Canadian bacon though. It's like kind of already it's all sweet, right? That's like you know I, I'm like I I joke now all the time because I like don't really love sweet stuff anymore, and I always think about like oh it's not too sweet, it's good, yeah. But I think that's sort of the problem with the the Canadian bacon is it's almost like one note, right? Or Canadian, or Canadian yeah. Yeah, Canadian bacon. Yeah, but it's pineapple sort of seems like, like no. Yeah, it's like a Trojan horse. Like, how did it get in there? Why? Why aren't? Why don't? We, why can't I order a, an apple pizza or a banana pizza or like a, you know, whatever other sweet fruit? Well, oh, probably, you can't start there. It probably <laughs> like, has to do with how well it holds its shape when it's baked, when the pizza is baked. Apple uh, yeah. baked apple is, is so good. I guess you can get baked apple on like those crappy dessert pizzas from Pizza Hut, but. But I feel like how would you like how would you cut up the apple so that it's you could cut it up in chunks like slices or you could do either way you could do it pepperoni style or you could do it like pineapple style where it's chunky and I don't know I really what it would try this now go with but you know apple yeah. and cheese is really good that's like a, a favorite snack of, of mine it's just like yeah a little no, I've, I think I want to say I've had an apple on like if you did it with like a bitter green like an arugula or something like that and then you did it with like a creamy kind of like a goat cheese or something oh, or yeah. like a well we can't call it the buxton there's already a i got yeah <laughs> that one's already cut. <laughs> the buxton too yeah no that, i bet you could do you know i uh beets on pizza are really good um hearth Ooh. in anchorage does a lot of beet 
and goat cheese pizza. Those are really good. Um, it tastes like dirt. Oh, yeah, but that's like the good part about it. Yeah. <laughs> Beets taste like dirt. <laughs> that's because they come from the dirt. Um, <laughs> I've done Brussels sprouts on pizza. You got to yeah, do Brussels like really, sprouts are great. Really, really get them good. Yeah. Yeah, Brussels sprouts when they're crisp. I gotta go though. make some more pizza. So I'll <laughs> go get my more dough going. I only have yeah. dough for two pizzas. Did you make the dough? Yeah. 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 I would say the one kind of pizza that I'm consistently disappointed by is the taco pizza. Yes. The taco pizza never is as good as just a taco. Yeah. And, and, and it never feels like, oh, I could just fold this pizza in half and have a giant taco. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's like having a dip on a pizza almost. Like I love tacos. I think, yeah, what you need with a taco is you need a little bit of crunch. So maybe if you were yeah. to take the pizza and swap out the dough for a tostada, it'd probably be good. <laughs> well, also I think it comes back to ratios. I think everything comes back to ratios. The, a taco, even if you have a soft taco, the tortilla is so thin and pizza dough is never going to be that thin. You're going to have too much bread. Spoken like a true economist. <laughs> <laughs> it, it comes back to ratios. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you have a chart probably somewhere in your house that shows like the <laughs> optimal pizza. Like you've got some graph where they're intersecting. Yeah, exactly. Well, did we just run out of pizza stuff? Do we, Carol, you you serve on the city and borough of Juno Assembly. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, like you're you were relatively new to the assembly and then all of a sudden COVID hit. And I just want to know like what it was like. Man, this is a just a breakneck turn in the conversation. <laughs> but I but I but I I just want to know what like what that shift was like for you uh in terms of like workload and stress and just time management and stuff like that because i think that like a lot of people don't realize how much effort is going into this and and as a city uh assembly member you're just sort of like a part-time volunteer like you have a full-time job that's just kind of something that you yeah do as a hobby right <laughs> yeah well it happened so fast i think it just February was the last normal month and then March it just all of a sudden I was a gnome for the Iditarod when things really were like hitting the fan and I'm so glad that I happened to be on leave and not trying to be at work because I was on the phone like all day every day we were this was when we were contemplating the shutdown for the first time and I had business owners calling me. I had a fellow assembly members calling me. It's just like, you know, all day on the phone, freaking out about what we're going to do. And then our meetings and like March is, was the worst. March was the worst month ever. And I hope nothing like that ever happens again. We had so many meetings and they lasted so long. I think we had a, like a few six hour meetings and they were so emotional, like emotionally difficult because of course, I mean, everybody on the assembly has the best of intentions and we, but we were coming at it from different places. And there were some people who were like, we have to protect the health and safety of everybody. And that means shutting everything down. Um, I, at the time was like, yes, we have to do that. Let's also consider what the impacts of shutting everything down are going to be and at least pause to talk about them. And it was just, yeah, it was super emotional, super difficult, super draining. Um, kind of after March, 
you know, we did shut down. Then the once the state started doing more things, it was easier because we could say, well, we're just going to let the state, we're just going to follow the state policies and let the state decisions stand. And then we don't have to discuss them and we don't have to have the arguments about them. We can just say that's what's going to happen. That's funny. Um, like that, if I can interject really quickly, that, that's what, it, like at, from the perspective of a, of a small business owner in Juneau, we had the same relationship with you as the city where it was like, we hope the city makes a decision so that we can stop having to make this decision on our own without any sort of expertise or, you know, like, yeah. so we, we were like looking up all these regulations and stuff. And we're like, why are we doing this? Why doesn't the city do something? And then it was such a relief when the city made the decision, because then we can just say, sorry, sir, you have to wear a mask. It's the city. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. like mm-hmm. you get to take the hit for us, which was really nice. Yeah. And then we had the same relationship with the state where we could say, well, the state has done this. So, you know, go send your angry email to. <laughs> we got a, like just a couple random. This was, you know, early on at this point, I think we all know like, this is going to be a while and it's serious. But at that time, you know, we got some emails of you've ruined my 20th anniversary vacation. And it's just like, you know, that kind of thing was just hard. Everything was hard. The tone of the emails that we started receiving changed significantly. Like, I hope it goes back to normal, frankly, because it got bad. And I understand that people were scared and angry and, you know, I tried not to take those emails personally, but it was also difficult to be on the receiving end of this barrage of angry emails of you're ruining my life, you're ruining my business. And, you know, it's like, well, we're trying to keep people alive. And how many emails were you getting? Like, in Oh, a- we, I mean, just the volume of emails increased insane, like hundreds versus, you know, normally it'd be like, maybe a dozen emails a week or a couple dozen emails a week. And then it was hundreds and hundreds of emails, especially when we were discussing the shutdown and the mask mandate. Um, those topics, of course, got just a lot of attention on a lot of angry emails. How were you able to keep up with all that? Um, I, at a certain point, just turned the email notifications off on my phone because <laughs> it was it was so stressful to to see my phone light up and be like, here's an angry email from somebody while I'm at my actual job trying to do my actual work. So I turned those off and uh, that helped so I could check it when I was going to check it. Um, I think different assembly members have different email strategies. I got to a point where it's like, I cannot respond to all of these. It's just too much. It's, It's taking too much of my mental energy and making me so upset and sad and angry and yeah had to stop do you feel like have you come around a corner on that a little bit since then or is it yeah yeah we're getting a little we're getting definitely closer to normal quote unquote whatever that uh is going to be in the future it definitely has has died down and now we have a couple of things on our agenda for tomorrow's meeting that are not COVID related and we are getting emails about those. And it's actually a really nice change to be like, this has nothing to do with COVID and let's discuss some other policy issues. I think it's been really interesting. It's just like, yeah, I mean, it, 
in so many ways, it feels like a lost year, you know, a lost summer, I guess. And yeah, lost will be a lost year by the time we're done with it. Like, yeah, there are. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a ton of things we would all rather been talking about this year. And I, I think as far as like the pandemic itself, it's been really interesting kind of watching from like afar almost. You know, I've been working from home since 2017 anyways. So it's been kind of interesting to like sort of zoom back out on some of the public policy stuff. And I think it's just been really interesting where, you know, you guys talked about looking to the next level up right and as we all know that next level up gets increasingly less you know serious about about any any sort of responsibility for for managing this and managing expectations too and um you know i think yeah i think it's understandable a lot of the the fear and and uncertainty about it because there really isn't like anything super solidly known about it i was thinking about it today too like you know, we're starting to think about like, well, what, what's, what's this winter going to look like, you know, and what's, you know, the holidays going to look like. And, and um, there's not still not really like a great single definitive source on anything, you know, like what's the safe, what, what should I be doing right now is sort of, you know, it's so undercut by where we're at with sort of trust in our kind of upper level elected officials, where you look at the state level, for example, and it's like, you have the governor sort of talking about how, Oh, our capacity is fine right now. Everything's fine right now. And you're looking at the numbers and they're going way up and up and up. And so, but, and then you have like the public health officials who are saying, you know, be careful, but it, their message is so undercut by the, the guy in charge at the same time, basically saying like, it's not a big deal that it's so damn frustrating and it got really exhausting. I think like, Pat, you brought it up about how, like, what about session, right? Like, session's yeah, I probably going to be completely disrupted by this. And, and no one's, it doesn't seem like anyone's taking it seriously. I had a few yeah. people who've, who've written me who work in the building are like, yes, we're meeting on this. We're talking about this. We're planning for this, but we may not be in leadership. And so everything we're doing might just get ignored and thrown out. And like, who knows what the approach will be. But I think that anyone that's like approaching the Alaska legislative session with this, like, you know, first of all, they've got this incredible fiscal problem that they're going to have to wade through. But the reality is that the meetings are going to be so disrupted by, you know, as if the legislature tries to pretend they can function like they have in years past, they're going to be flying back and forth from Anchorage to Juneau. They're all going to get COVID. You know, staffers are going to disappear halfway through. I mean, there there are, many of them have like uh, pre-existing conditions and are, are older and like are in vulnerable populations, like that's terrifying to me that like you could just be partway through the, this contentious legislative session mm -hmm. and then someone could just like vanish off the board. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, and I, it feels like there's not much discussion happening around that. And it's kind of like, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there, there is, there are people who are working on that. And of course, as CBJ, we, one of our priorities is always keeping the capital here. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're trying to get a testing machine for the hospital and part of that, which we're on like a bunch of different waiting lists and it's just kind of, we have to wait until there's one available. So and part this would allow us to do tests locally. Yeah, that would yeah. allow us to do tests locally, which, which helps of course us here in Juneau. And then hopefully one of the benefits is that we're able to provide faster testing for the legislature. Yeah. But so much of that, I think, is going to depend on the election results and what the majority ends up being. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Like if, if the, um, you know, the election a bit is a referendum on, on how do we approach COVID, right? So 
So I wonder how much that'll play into this election is like, you know, choose your own adventure of like, I want freedom and I don't want to be told what to do, or I want uh, strict guidelines that corral this problem and pin it down. Yeah. It's an interesting trade-off. You know, I think, and and a lot of it, I like to pull in even one step further back on on the focus here is, um, you know, I think where we're at with a lot of politics, right, is in this really frustrating position where, I think the conversation completely gets defined by the furthest right group, right? Where basically, you know, the media and, you know, is definitely has a part in this where we kind of normalize whatever, you know, it's always got to be kind of an us versus them issue, right? And so even if you look at the majority of people who probably agree that, you know, masks or being careful, caring for another, your fellow man is probably a good idea, right? That, that position is, um, kind of undercut by having a, a completely far right side that is sort of not only do they set the goalposts on that side so far to the other side where it's like, you know, I want to continue to kiss Andy Kreiner on the mouth. Like that's that's their position, right? And so that becomes like, oh, that's just one end of the thing. And then you look on the other end and it's like, well, I would, would like my grandma not to die. And like that's, those are, those are presented as like kind of two equally valid points. And I think what is really sad about it and frustrating about it is that in turn, you know, it is, I think if you, you know, you look at, you know, like how Anchorage has handled it and they're kind of being attacked as this like place has been really aggressive, but no, they haven't been it, like, they've been opening up left and right. They closed down dining for a little bit and then opened it back up. And it's just as bad as it ever, like they never actually got there. Like if they were really serious about it, they'd be going many steps further. And so, for them to be kind of labeled as this like extreme leftist sort of approach to it is bullshit. And I think you look at like kind of what the reality of what people who are asking for like a more careful approach to it is, it's typically like, well, we don't need to completely shut down everything, but we should at least be careful so we don't have to shut down everything. And that, that the fact that that point doesn't have like um, much traction is so frustrating to me because it feels like the discussion gets centered around kind of like gets so skewed that we kind of lose track of it. And I think that's kind of like just sort of how everything has been a little bit. Like you look at kind of how some of the politics have been playing out in the legislature. It's always like, you know, I'm for this and that other guy is for the most extreme possible position in the world. And it's like, no, if you actually, if, and so I think it, it, you know, I think it kind of is uh, a little bit on progressives too for failing to really being able to like proudly articulate their positions in a way that doesn't like let the message and narrative get out of hand. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I've been sitting at home, not thinking about all this sort of stuff to myself for a while now, and I haven't, you know, my dogs are tired of me yelling at them about uh, political, the state of political discourse in America. So I got to <laughs> yell about it somewhere. Carol, you, you said, um, so we're, Juno's trying to get testing machines. What else are we doing to plan for like the legislative session? I don't know what I should tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like secret <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So, uh, um, like a big, uh, yeah, I know that barrier a giant bubble around the building. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, I think the Alaska, the Alaska committee is working on some, I know they're hard at work on it. I don't know what exactly they're doing. I think trying to find housing, like a, a place, because housing is going to be an issue. Um, so I think they're one working on housing. I don't honestly know what the other things are. Um, yeah. And I think. So you can change. understand why I would feel like nothing's happening is because no, like I don't hear that anything's happening. Well, <laughs> so but also, like... I mean, but we're not like, we're trying to get ready 
and we're trying to Juno, of course, always wants the legislature to be here. It's very important yeah. to us. Uh, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for them, but it's not our decision ultimately. So, you know, we're just trying to do all of these things that say, look how great it's going to be in Juno. Look how welcoming. Look at these resources we have for you, like the testing machine, which hopefully we'll get. But we don't we don't get to make that call, which is why yeah. I think that the election results are going to be kind of a big determination here determinating you know, factor uh i mean honestly can... like i i i understand the like let's keep the capital in juno thing and i know that there's a lot of benefits that come from you know economic benefits that come from having people doing their business here um but it feels like this year just like moving to like the assembly is doing on all these online meetings i don't see why the legislature doesn't just plan to to meet yeah. remotely from their communities um you know, I mean, it's a different yeah. approach, but it's, it's one that like, we've all kind of discovered through the, you know, in, in business and in, in nonprofit worlds, we've all been having these meetings and it's working. Yeah. Well, they would have to change their rules. So they'd have to come here to change their rules. That's like, yeah. you know, but you know, if they decided they wanted to do that, that would, they could do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I know that I haven't been in, in these discussions that I've heard of these discussions of the, the Juno folks who are working on getting the legislature to come back of, well, is there going to be a, a contingency here in Juno that doesn't want them to come? And I mean, you look at that fundraiser where nobody was wearing masks. And then I saw Dan Sadler in Foodland like two days later. And I'm like, why are you here bringing your COVID with you? Like, stay away. But yeah. yeah so I mean, yeah. So so as a community, are we inviting in a bunch of like super spreaders who will be traveling back and forth from their communities and become huge vectors for? I mean, basically, I th you might. I think that there's no way that if we continue as normal, if we if we have a legislative session like we did last year, um, if it looks anything like that, I don't think there's any way that the legis that the capital doesn't become like a major hotspot. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's also a perfectly valid. I. I think that let's have the legislature stay in Juno because we as a city need them. And, you know, if you have one year where they're not here, it makes it a lot easier for them to move in the future. I think that's a valid argument. I think that they're going to bring their COVID because they don't follow the rules is an equally valid uh, argument too. And I don't know, I mean, hopefully if they do come, we as a city can help make that their time here safer yeah um i think that we'd probably be willing to put money into that so i don't know um it's a really interesting thing i mean yeah. it's just like it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough question and it's and you're right it isn't entirely ours our our thing to answer um 520 new cases today guys 500 does that we said 520 are you no. fucking kidding me Holy, Holy shit. shit. 520? Yeah. So, so the previous high was yesterday, and that was like 350-something. And then the previous high before that was like 200-something. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's uh, Oh, yeah. So it looks like they must have been ramping up testing in the bur in Matsu. 75 cases in Matsu today. Oh, wow. North Star Borough, 74. Oh, Juno, 35. Look at you guys. Yeah, well, we're doing pretty good down here. 209 I mean, we, in Anchorage. We Sorry, had, I don't mean to be laughing. This is, that's no. grim. 
We had um, a uh, we had like a big super spreader event, and I think everyone kind of like woke up to the reality of like, oh, this is a problem, and then kind of like yeah. tamped down on it. And it's just that like it's kind of that herky jerky start and stop thing where you know things explode and then they die down a little bit, and you know a big number like this probably people will see that and maybe moderate some of their behavior. Carol, you keep yeah. looking at your phone. Do you have to run? No, no, I'm okay. just you're just getting angry emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do you think that they are? I guess I, I don't know. I don't see, cause I, I'm not going anywhere either. So I'm not seeing what people are doing. Um, well, it just so- doesn't seem when I look at social media and the people I know and you know, it doesn't seem like people are really changing their behavior. Well, yeah. When we first hit a hundred cases a day, it opened some eyes. Like that was a, a big number for people. And even some people I know who were not behaving very responsibly were like, okay, this is like, this is real because we'd gone from one and two cases a day to a hundred. And that, that was a significant, there's kind of these numbers. I don't know. You're, you're the economist you probably knows better than I, but there's these like psychological numbers of like, okay, like 350 is kind of interesting, but 500 is like, that's going to be a big deal. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the problem is that there's such, I think everybody's heard some different like sort of bits of facts about how deadly COVID is, about how how not deadly it is, you know, and I think everyone is sort of like cobbled together their little bits of like supporting you know, enabling information, I think. And I think that's what is so frustrating. It feels like we're kind of like, we, we've gotten out of sync on it, I think. I think, you know, I, you know, we haven't, we haven't, you know, I've had one beer with a friend outside once and over the last like six months. And that's like where, where I'm at. And, um, but you know, a lot of people aren't. And I think, you know, for me, I sat and read and, you know, I was looking at the daily numbers. I was terrified at the beginning. And I think, yeah, I, I'm of the opinion, I think that like you can, there are ways of being safe about it, but you look out there and people aren't being safe. Is there a mask mandate in Anchorage? Uh, at businesses, yes. I mean, I think it but does. Them, but if you can take them off, um, if you're eating and drinking, yeah. which is like the most, it's like, that is the high risk behavior. Yeah. Um, you can take them off then. And so like, I've gone, I've gone, I've never, I've not gone and eaten at a restaurant yet here and will not for the foreseeable future, but I've gone to go pick stuff up. And even that time it can be like really nerve wracking, like looking around and everybody's not wearing masks. And it's just, there's a, there's a little bit of a confirmation bias that happens there because when you're out, you're seeing the people who are out. You're not seeing the people who are at home. So like, that's a tiny bit of comfort. Right. I think, I think the, the sad thing is that, you know, you go out and, and, and I think, you know, I, I look a lot at done a little bit of reporting and stuff on like the economic outlook of it. Right. And I think the, the really big concern I think right now is that like we've gone through, we definitely had some sort of level of economic damage. The question moving forward is like, does that economic damage become permanent? How permanent does it become? You know, are people losing their homes? Are they becoming homeless? Are they going bankrupt? Are they, are businesses closing? Like those are hard things to come back from. And I think, you know, you just can't, you know, short of just pumping money directly into them, the best way to get business back in, I would believe, is to make them feel, make people feel comfortable about shopping, right? And so yeah. as long as some percentage of people, you know, like me, other people, aren't fully economically reengaged, like the recovery is going to continue to drag on and, and, and people, get, that damage is going to become more and more permanent and people are still getting sick. You know, it's like, we're not, we, we tried to pick 
the economy over people's health and we got neither, you know, and that's, I think what is so deeply frustrating right now. It is. It's super frustrating to hear that argument from, you know, business owners or whoever, when they say you're hurting our business because of these rules. And it's like, no, it's not the rules. It's people don't feel comfortable going out. Like we could, we could eliminate all of the rules and your demand is still not going to come back because people are afraid. And that is really the problem. And yeah, you can't force people to go out and spend money. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said about, you know, what is the economic damage? I, you know, something we've been grappling with, with the assembly and we haven't seen yet like this huge, increase in like personal or like individual and family who need assistance Mm -hmm. and who need help. And it's been, you know, I've been asking like, are they there and we're not seeing them? Are they not there? Like, I think it's been, they're not there yet because there've been all of these other things. There's been the unemployment and and things like that. And we're heading into winter and things are probably going to get worse. And that's exactly when we have to stop using our cares money. And it's, Mm -hmm. Uh, really scary to me that we're going to go through this winter here in Juneau and have people who really need help and we as the city won't have any more to give them. Yeah. I think there are people who are a lot more optimistic than I am. And I think it's good that we've got this balance where I'm over here saying like, we're totally fucked. We're going to be totally fucked forever. And we have people who are like, no, we're not totally fucked. We're going to be okay. Or some people are even like, oh, we're going to be like, it's going to be golden. And hopefully we can kind of meet in the middle somewhere. And that's hopefully what's more accurate or at least a better place to plan for. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't see, I mean, in Juneau, so much of our revenue is dependent on a summer tourism season. And it's not going to be, you know, this year, obviously, was we had nothing, right? And we were just totally screwed. I don't think next year is going to be that much better. Yeah. it's so dependent on other things too, outside of our control. We, you know, we have people saying like, well, well, we're doing like, you know, all the, these things that we can do. I'm like, but you know, cruise ships, that depends on Canada, whether Canada is going to let cruise ships stop because that is a, you know, necessary for them to follow the Jones Act. And maybe Congress could get their shit together to have some kind of waiver for the Jones Act, but that seems less likely than Canada uh, opening up their ports again. And then are people going to want to go on cruises? I mean, yeah. there will be some people, yes, who want to, but is there, are there going to be a million people who want to go on a cruise next summer to Alaska? Probably not. Are and they? will they have the financial wherewithal? Like, I mean, yeah, like, and that too. And I imagine at some level too, that like the businesses, there's so much uncertainty too from, you know, it looks like it's getting a lot worse, right? So the question is at some point, you know, are there going to be new shutdowns? Are there going to be new stops you know, to, to these sort of things? And I think, I would imagine as a business owner, Pat, like the kind of uncertainty where, you know, the expectations may be yo-yoing between one thing or another are pretty difficult to plan for, right? And at least, you know, your books don't rot, right, you know, on the shelf. But, you know, so I would imagine restaurants are like particularly in a rough spot. Yeah, restaurants aren't going to make it through this unless they're getting major government support. Um you know, the, the starting and stopping is really hard. Uh, you know, there's a local restaurant owners who, who, who I know that had a, um, you know, basically just had to give all our food away when they shut down the restaurants and then, and then couldn't afford to buy up all the new food to reopen when, when things reopened. And then when they did reopen, it's like 25% of 
capacity and you know no one wants to come out anyways because the only people who are coming out are the people that aren't taking things seriously who are more likely to have covid and i don't know it's like yeah it's really hard we we just opened our store um this week to customers for the first time since march um we closed down wow. and ju- just did we just did curb front service and we and del- delivery all summer long but it's gotten so cold that we can't do the curb front we can't leave our door open anymore and so we transitioned to like a basically by appointment only uh one person at a time one pod at a time can come in and browse the store and we're trying to encourage them to not come in for more than 15 minutes and we you know built one of those giant like sneeze guard salad guard things and you know it's and yesterday was my first day doing that um and it was a little sketchy but i think that once we get people kind of like trained up on it it'll be okay um i am i am worried about the inevitable just sort of like person barging in and how how i will deal with that but um but yeah it's uh it's it's going to be weird and it's not great to start and stop a, an economy um it would be much better to just shut it down for a longer period of time and then know that it's back yeah that's what we should have done in march probably okay. as a nation wide policy that was another thing that was really difficult was you know the lack of any kind of federal guidance while we're trying to make decisions at the assembly and none of us are scientists or epidemiologists and we're doing the best we can to get the right information we need and if there had been a federal policy to follow it would have made things so much easier of course yeah i mean i think it would be interesting to see a policy where we say going to shut down. We're going to shut down for five weeks. Everyone gets their mega PFD, maybe a nationwide shutdown. But that's the thing, right? Like this virus can only live for X amount of time, right? So you could, you shut everything down, like basically starve it out. And so I think there's like kind of dramatic policies that, at, that, that would need to be in place to really handle this. But I just don't think there's the will, right? I think it seems like that on some level, there's just like a resignation that we're just screwed. And I think it's really, really, which is really tragic. Like, because we have, we have every geographic advantage in Alaska. Like we could have been, we could have done what New Zealand did. We could have shut down our borders and said, listen, you can come in, but you have to stay at this hotel for two weeks before you're allowed to like go in. And you know what? We did it for a little while. Right. And that's why like, you know, you look at the, you talk about like, why did the recall, you know, lose steam? And I I would say that the big, the biggest reason is that it's just difficult to collect signatures. And then, but yeah, I would, I think a lot of people did look at the kind of early days when I think those were the, you know, those were the easy decisions almost back in the very early days when we were like, okay, well, we got to shut down. And, um, you know, and the governor's sort of approval rating sort of rebounded. I think people, a lot of kind of moderate people looked at him and said, well, he's not that bad. Actually, he's doing okay here. Now it's, they've kind of, he's completely abdicated any sort of responsibility on. He doesn't appear, doesn't talk about it. And it's just like. He's done that for like every single thing in his term, which I cannot believe has been only two years. Like. I've had this discussion a couple of times recently about like, you know, the election. And then we're thinking the next gubernatorial election is still two years away. Yeah. It's been a long two years. What do you think about the elections, Carol? Are you, um, have you voted already? Oh, of course I have. I fucking love voting. Um, it's my favorite <laughs> thing to do because you get a sticker. I think uh, we, my family, we're very sticker motivated. We like, we like voting. <laughs> Risk adverse, uh, sticker motivated. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, I already voted. My ballot was received on the 9th. So it's been there for a while. 
waiting to be counted. Did you vote um, by mail or did you? Um, I did vote by mail, but because I was impatient. I didn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't wait. That's why as mm -hmm. I voted by mail because I just couldn't wait. Um, I'm not terribly optimistic about the national race or our state races, but. What does that mean? Uh, well, I don't think that either Al Gross or Elise Galvin are going to win. I really think this is, I mean, I think any chance that they, those two candidates had got ruined by the ballot change that puts Democrat mm -hmm. next to them. That's my personal opinion is that that is what is going to change the outcome of those races. If either of them were in a position to win, I hope I'm wrong. We'll see. Um, but that's my position. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm just like, you know, I, I think there's so much wrong at the federal level where Republicans have done such a good job of suppressing votes and gerrymandering and the electoral college that I'm not like, I'm not going to be surprised if Trump wins again. I don't think he's going to win the popular vote. I think there's no way he wins the popular vote, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wins the presidency again. I think he's going to lose by like 20 million votes and then still be president. <laughs> I think it could happen. That's I think terrible. they could figure out some way to make it happen. I've been uh, buoyed by optimism. I, it's kind of, I trend optimistic and, um, and often uh, drag people along with me and then they feel betrayed by my optimism. <laughs> the, <laughs> um, but the, uh, but the thing that's really got me excited is just seeing how much um, voter turnout is increasing in a lot of areas. There's just mm -hmm. like huge numbers of people coming out and people who haven't been active participants in elections before. So seeing young people actually come out and vote, seeing, uh, you know, seeing just like people really wanting to stand in line and, and making a, a you know, point of pride about it. And I, I think that that kind of trends towards good yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I should find some hope in that. And I would say I, I don't really follow politics at the national level that much because the state and city take up all of that mental energy. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I guess, a little, I'm optimistic that the Senate flips. And I think I read somewhere recently that there was a county in Texas that has already reached its 2016 turnout you know, mm -hmm. 10 days before the election. And that is really great. So yeah, I would guess we're added towards a greater uh, turnout than ever and, before. And as, a, as a bellwether, we just had our CBJ elections and they went really well. We had a, what, 41% turnout yeah. or something? Let me brag yeah, about how awesome, amazing yeah. Juno is because we always have the highest turnout. The uh, total, totally by mail election, I'm sure helps when you're putting the ballot in somebody's mm -hmm. hand and making it pretty easy uh, to, to vote. But I'm so proud of us. We did such a good job in that election. Juno yeah, was and, amazing. And it was neat. It was just, it was just cool to see that like that, I think that had a real impact on the turn on, on the results, you know, like getting a 41% turnout means you have a much better representation of the community. We're back to six women and four millennials. My millennial takeover plan is working exactly <laughs> as I wanted it to. And that is really, I think, actually very exciting. Well, so um, we like to, uh, we kind of like to end the show on just sort of like what's something like cool or wonderful or neat that's going on like in your community or around the state. Um, 
was wondering if you you had anything for us or should maybe Matt go first? Yeah, I think Matt should go first. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't really think of anything other than this 520 number. You're just staring at a giant 520 on your screen? I actually was. Okay, so I've got something. I'll, jump, I'll All right. start this off. Let so, me think. Let me keep okay. thinking. So I, um, I'm like a, a sort of a site coordinator, community liaison for this thing called the Alaska Fellows Program. Um, so uh, it's kind of like a service work program, and like a fellowship that's similar to um, something like JVs or um, AmeriCorps. Um, where people are postgrads are coming a, into communities in Alaska and working with nonprofit organizations as fellows. Uh, this year, I was like, I was, I was saying, well, let's not do this because it's a really bad idea. Um, I got outvoted, and the program persisted, and and uh, the young folks who are part of this program all arrived here in Juneau safely. No one has COVID. Uh, they all tested negative. Everyone's like working with their organizations at different levels right now and it's all going well and they are just super wonderful people. Um, this year, the Alaska Fellows Program is in Anchorage, Sitka, and Juneau. And I think fully one third of our fellows are from Alaska, which is really exciting because we're getting more um, you know, we not we don't want to just like bring in people from outside of the state. We want to give people, uh, we want to give you know smart young Alaskans a reason to stay here. And so, um, I feel like that that is something that's really exciting to me. That we've, I think we're going to kind of muddle through this year, and um, I see a lot of opportunity for the program to do good things in the future. So I'm I'm excited about that. I have a personal thing that I yeah. am excited about. What's so that? last last weekend was Alaska Day weekend. The long long weekend for me as a state employee. And I bought myself some power tools that I've been wanting for a long time. I bought a circular saw nice. and a bunch of other toys to build a, my, my motivation was I built this little thing to keep recycling and that it's hopefully going to be bear proof. And I definitely spent more than twice as much money on new toys than the actual materials for, for building it. But I had such a fun weekend working on that. And I was so re-energized when I went back to work on Tuesday and just felt great having, you know, built something with my hands and not thinking about COVID or politics or anything else going on in the world. That was really fun. And now I want a miter saw and a table saw and a planer and I want more toys. I don't know if you have room for all that stuff. <laughs> I don't. I just definitely. Okay. I want a new house. So that I could <laughs> well, you build. Yeah. You could build a new shed for it. Yeah. Okay. I keep saying that I think I could build, that I could build a house if I wanted to. And Sean doesn't believe me that I have those skills yet, <laughs> but someday I will. I mean, anyone can build a house. It's just, there's different qualities. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I've been painting a lot actually this, um, and, and doing like building models and stuff and um i think yeah i think right now i think it's more important than ever to be kind of making stuff with your hands and and, and doing stuff that's i don't know feels more constructive right i think one of the podcasts that pat and i had way back after the 2016 elections we were going through everything is that or after after Trump was elected, I think one of my takeaways after that was like, you know, nothing's going to get better on its own without us having a hand in it. You know, whether that's 
you know, something in your personal life or something bigger than you, like nothing's going to, nothing just automatically happens out there. And I think we kind of are guilty of thinking that sometimes. I think we are just kind of guilty of thinking that things are just going to always get better. And um, yeah, I mean, I think if this last four years have proved anything, it's that things don't automatically get better on their own. And it takes a lot of hard work. And I think taking the time to be able to spend a little bit of time or taking the time to, to build something, make something with your hands that you can be really proud of, I think is, is like, the best thing you can be doing right now because i think you know there we can fight you know these big political fights and the victory may be you know invisible or years and years away and be able to but being able to like sit down and look at and like hey look i cut some pieces of wood and some of them are kind of straight is like a pretty sweet little thing that we don't kind of get every day anymore and i think so I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll go finish up the um, ski rack I was going to build in, my in the garage. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, it's thank been you. It's really nice seeing you guys. Yeah. yeah it's been nice yeah. seeing you all. It's, this is good. Um, Matt, I kind of like this format. We should do some more guest stuff. Yeah. Good. That sounds good. All right. Uh, goodbye, Alaska. All right. See you guys. Bye. I'll say goodbye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>